I'm Anna Bauer, legal fellow and courts correspondent at Lawfare. Today on Lawfare No Bull, on October 16th, Fulton County Superior Court Judge Scott McAfee held a pretrial hearing in state of Georgia versus Kenneth Chesbro and Sidney Powell. During the hearing, prosecutors and defense attorneys sparred over proposed questions for a jury questionnaire that a group of prospective jurors will be asked to fill out when they arrive for jury selection on Friday, October 20th. So let's dig into the questionnaires now. Um, I'm tendering for the record uh, courts one and courts two, which are gonna be copies of the original submissions by the state and the defense. Again, just to keep the, um, the record clear. And you can take a look at those if you want to before they become part of the record. And, and then I've we obviously sent back and forth uh, deletions, edits, proposals, and that sort of thing. And when we're done with this process and we come up with a final questionnaire, I'll, I'll tender that as uh, Courts Exhibit 3, again, for the record. So digging into it. Uh, again, going off, we'll just take it section by section. I'll just go off the latest line edits provided by the defense. I didn't see any concerns with the introduction uh, or the background, but we can just go ahead and start there since we already mentioned it. So the background would, again, uh, the intention would be that that could serve as the introduction to the indictment sufficient to kick off the Vardier process as that... Uh, everyone's understanding or uh, any other thoughts on the background section it's, it's very brief we've got what essentially four sentences there i just know that in some you know cases after introducing the state there'll be a request to say read the indictment and this would serve as the substitute for that that's the idea Actually, we would actually request that you actually do charge the substantive acts that are alleged, such as filing false documents um, and the like. When you say charge, what do you mean? Uh, not charge, but like list it, including the Georgia RICO Act, then go on filing false documents, et cetera. And when you say uh, list it, do you mean in the questionnaire or actually verbal? Uh, in the background section. Okay, so if that's the case, then I'm gonna, uh, let's see your proposal in writing, what you're saying needs to be added and uh, when you say list, are you saying actually read each count? Uh, not read each count, but just read the uh, the, the charge itself. like the. So essentially saying that well, uh, Mr. Chesbro has been charged with RICO, false statements, this, that, and hard stop. Yes. Not really going into the substance of it, just the title of each charge. Okay. All right. Anything else? Uh, that's it for the background. Okay. Uh, Mr. Rafferty. We would ask that you read it as is, Ron. As is. Okay. And so not to read the substantive counts? Correct. Yeah, that's correct. All right. Okay, then back to the state. Any particular uh, case law or reason why you think we would need that the defense is saying they don't they don't uh, mind it. Any particular reason why you feel we need to have each count outlined? Just the counts charged. I think that gives a right. better overview of the background and the, uh, what they'll be considering and being able to file their uh, questionnaire. All right. I will. Uh, if you want to submit, well, actually, I guess you don't need to submit it over if it's just going to be listing the charges. I'll I'll take that under advisement. We only ask the ones charged for cheese, bro. No, I understand. I understand. Okay. Uh, then we've got kind of outlining the jury service section, saying giving everyone an expectation of when we'd be off and when we'd be on. And then I I, I tightened it instead of a range, just to say five months. Hope maybe we'll do better. Um, but that's that's where I landed. Any thoughts? Last final thoughts about five months from the state. Uh, we're good with it, Mr. Rafferty. Okay, Mr. Rora. Uh, Your Honor, the December 18th through 29th. Are we coming back on the 30th and 31st, or should we just make it through January 1st? Well, I think those are a weekend, right? Yeah. I so I was just I just I said all weekends are off, and then I'm just listing the weekdays that are also off for holidays. Right. Might, uh, to Mr. Ches uh, Mr. Rora's point, you, it might make sense to include that because there could be jurors that think that sure. are going to work because they're not going to realize that that's a weekend or something. 
All right, I'll do that. Okay, and then getting into the more substantive questions. Uh, the first, we start off with uh, the statutory questions, which it looks like uh, someone from the defense side was kind of tweaking some of the language and, and deleted the third. Any thoughts there about why? We're on number two, A, B, and C. Have a C on the. That's right. It got deleted uh, at the defense request, and so I'm wondering why. Well, I, I think I think the question you know, number C, the one I think you're referring to, I, I'm not really sure what it means to say whose minds are not perfectly impartial between the state and the accused. Uh, I think the original two questions, with just some slight language changes, I think is the most. I've used the most accurate description of whether or not they're going to have prejudice, bias, or opinions. Uh, I just think part C, I, I'm not quite sure what it means to say whose minds are not perfectly impartial. That's my objection. Okay. So if we take a look at OCGA 15-12-164, those are three statutory questions that shall be asked in every felony case. So I really don't think there's any discretion whatsoever. And even um, messing with the language, uh, I think, puts us in a dangerous territory. Literally every single felony case, we have to ask those in Georgia by, by code. And as the greater theme, because they're so broad in their application, as a, as a preview to what comes next, generally when I'm reading the cases on this, uh, those swallow a lot of the other more specific questions when we're talking about bias. Uh, at least that's how our appellate courts have looked at it, and, and we'll get into it. But so I'll Overrule the objection on that, and we'll we'll have all three of those statutory questions as laid out in the code. The rest of this first section, uh, again dealing with just general background, based on the defendant's consolidated red line, I didn't see any uh, further objections to the changes made by the state to the original drafts or the state's proposals. Anything else in that initial section, which takes us through question thirty-one and leads us into case-specific questions. Okay. No, Your Honor. Okay, Mr. Uh, I, I think that was Mr. Grubman for the record. Or okay, okay. So uh, moving into more of the the meat of it, we've got case specific questions, and the final uh, defense red line uh, asked to re-add what was in their original proposal, which would be. Um, I think I'm just thinking for the record now what I should be referring to these as since we've got multiple versions uh, floating around. Let's see, give me one second. I think this would be on Courts Exhibit 2, which is the original defense request. This would be questions 37 through 45. That's right. And on the red line provided by the defense, it's 32 through. 39. And generally, this is questions about zeroing in on Sidney Powell, Kenneth Chesbro, um, asking, are they definitely guilty? Probably guilty, probably not guilty. What is your opinion? Very positive, somewhat positive, somewhat negative. Write in your own words your opinion. Would, she have, uh, would a defendant have a hard time convincing you they're not guilty of interfering in the results? Would you be less inclined to believe them compared to other witnesses? And then it repeats those same questions for Mr. Chesbro. So uh, the state had objected to that block of questions. And so uh, state, do you have anything you wanna to add to that objection? Uh, we just thought, uh, think these are improper questions. They prejudge the case as for basically the jurors judge on hypotheticals without evidence. Uh, and we'd actually ask for you to go back to our original submission, which asked if the opinion uh, of the juror was, uh, I believe, fixed and impartial. Oh, fixed and um, couldn't be changed. Um, okay, uh, I'd have to, I'm, I'm working off a couple different versions. So is it the same, you're saying there's a question where you essentially said, 
referring to Sidney Powell and kind of Chesbro, is it so fixed indefinite? Yes. All right. And why would that not be covered by two A through C, the statutory questions? Uh, it would be just it just asks again it would be good okay so one of my goals with the questionnaire is is if a question's already asked not to ask it again so we want to keep things streamlined and and uh so repetition or a duplicative question is going to be one that is probably going to get the axe from me okay uh from the defense this block of questions yes your honor. with respect to um you know our edits uh the first edit we suggested is striking 32a which read if yes, is any of the information impaired your ability to be fair and impartial with regards to Sidney Powell and Kenneth Chesbro? Uh, we, we've we've asked that that part of question be removed because, you know, our concern is that most people most people are going to want to say that they can be fair and impartial. When they're asked that question, their instinct is always going to be, "Well, I want to say that I can be fair and impartial." Uh, and sometimes the answer may not necessarily be an accurate reflection reflection of what they think. And just as an example, we, we made this similar change with respect to question 87, where um, I think you struck that may affect your ability to be fair and impartial as it relates to their opinions regarding District Attorney Fonnie Willis. Uh, our, our thinking on both, on both edits is, let's just, if we can, just ask them what their opinions are of the folks, because that more likely will draw out people's responses that will reflect if in fact they can be fair and impartial as opposed to just flatly asking them that. I think there's a whole lot of sociological studies and, and case, cases that have you know, sort of looked at this. People answer questions the way they think they should answer them. And everybody wants to believe they can be fair and impartial. And we think that if you just ask them, what is your opinion about uh, Sidney Powell, Kenneth Chesborough or District Attorney Willis? I think people are gonna honestly answer and that answer will be the real reflection of whether or not we as a collective can decide if they can be fair and impartial. So that is our thinking with respect to that. Um, and as it relates to the remaining questions on the edited one, which I think are 33 through 39, you mentioned, we just believe that um, given the high profile nature of this case and the amount of media publicity and, and saturation that's out there, asking some questions about their opinions about the two defendants on trial getting their attitudes about them generally, as we've tried to reflect here, um, is the best way for us to ensure on the defense side that we're gonna get a fair and impartial jury. We, we just wanna hear what folks think. And if they have no opinion or unsure who they are, we'll have a better sense. But if people have opinions, particularly as it relates to Ms. Powell, we wanna hear about those attitudes and opinions. And we think the questions we've asked would draw those kinds of things out, which would best ensure that we're gonna get a fair and impartial jury in this case. May I reply, Your Honor? Oh, well, I think Mr. Aurora might have something to add as well. Um, and, and Your Honor, the reason I, th I think I talked to Mr. Rafferty about those questions is um, depending on how many other 14 we have in that one hour, it may sort of point us to getting to that question quicker rather than sort of, you know, talking in circles around each individual juror wasting a, a little bit of time. It gets us there. Plus, I wanted to focus in on 37 and 39 on the working copy. I think we've been allowed to ask, you know, if you consider like a police officer more credible than somebody else. So I think 37 and 39 at a minimum are good. The others I'll adopt Mr. Rafferty's argument, but also say it helps us sort of tailor our individual board hours since we're on a time clock. Can I? Uh, yeah, just a moment. I'll say at a minimum, I mean, 32 B and C as on, on this red line, which in the original defense submissions would be question 37 and 41. Uh, I, I think those absolutely go to prejudgment when you're asking whether someone's probably guilty of interfering in Georgia election results. So I don't think there's any question that those are out. But the, um, the idea of just basically what is your opinion of the defendant? Uh, positive, negative, neutral, or unsure? Again, not something I've typically seen here where we just say, you know, what do you think of that person over there? But uh, council contends that due to the media attention, perhaps that that would be enlightening here. So, uh, Mr. Burnett, or that, Mr. Rafferty. That is my point, Your Honor. I mean, your, your typical case where a defendant is charged with a murder, robbery, or whatever it is, uh, most folks don't know anything about that person. And so asking them their opinion of that defendant on trial really doesn't lead to much. But in this particular case, 
given how much national media coverage has covered everything to do with this case and the individuals. Now, they may not know Mr. Chesborough, they may not know Ms. Powell, but there are probably a lot of folks who do, who follow the media, who follow January 6th proceedings, who have opinions. And if they've formed opinions about our clients, I think that's going to lend itself to some questioning, as Mr. Aurora said, during our individual voir dire that might tease out whether those folks can be fair and impartial. But you'd agree that that itself is not going to be a disqualifying factor, someone having an opinion of your client? Not necessarily, Your Honor, but if somebody has an opinion of my client and they express an opinion that's extremely favorable or extremely unfavorable, I think that is going to lead to questioning of the jurors in that very narrow window of time that we have that would let us better understand if that particular juror could be fair and impartial. All right, Mr. Renick. Yes. Um, going over the 34 and 35 of the red line version of the defendants, um, your opinion, again, I think that goes back to prejudgment of the case. It's asking you to assume hypotheticals about what they've heard and what's their opinion of that and start forming conclusions about it. Um, and I'm going back to Anderson v. State, that's 309 Georgia 618, a 2020 Georgia Supreme Court case. Uh, generally speaking, um, prejudgment questions, questions that require prospective jurors to assume facts that are not yet proved and to prejudge the case based on those assumed facts are inappropriate. Um, and then going back to based on what I have heard or read, I'd be less inclined to believe Sidney Powell and I believe the other one about Kenneth Chesbrook. I think that goes to judging credibility. So what the, what's your position though? Because I think it does correspond to the question we see a lot of law enforcement officer. Would you be more inclined to believe them solely on their law enforcement status? Uh, that goes to, I believe that also goes to credibility. And actually trial courts are found to be, it's appropriate when trial courts refuse to allow that question. No, I know that. Was that one, I forget whether the state objected to or it was a defense request on that, on that question? Uh, we also don't have any police officers in the case. They're so going to future. You know, well, we do. We don't, they're not the substance. Like a sure. Case. But I'm just trying to remember uh, that question where that one, I think that came from the defense actually, didn't it? Did, so. Okay. All right, anything else, Mr. Verner? Was there anything else? No, no, Your Honor, sorry. Okay. Yeah, so again, on, on like 36 and 37, given what you've seen or heard, would they have a hard time convincing you? I think that absolutely does get into, into prejudgment. Uh, best fitting your opinion? I mean, obviously, I guess when we're asking about where does someone get an opinion and most likely here is going to be from the news, but I think that question could also be used to draw out. I'm just trying to think if it was in any other case, uh, someone's opinion could be based on personal interactions or personal knowledge or relationships of some kind. And maybe here those questions will be uh, helpful in narrowing our focus when it comes to individual voir dire. So, Well, I think I'd be, I think I would leave in, I could re-add 34 and 35, just asking for a general opinion of each defendant. Uh, I would think that the remainder of these do start getting, crossing the line and getting into prejudgment and legal issues. And, and, and frankly, if, if, if the only reason we'd be bringing in the less inclined to believe a particular defendant compared to other witnesses is because the law enforcement question is there, I'd say we strike the law enforcement question as well. So based on the working copy, we're the line 32A, 33, 34. No, no, not, not, not 32A. That's calling for prejudgment. It would just be 34 and 35, asking for an opinion of Ms. Powell and asking for an opinion of Ms. Chesbro, the boxes. You're cutting out the list in Klein 37 and 39. Is that correct, John? That's right. And 33 goes away because... Yeah, 33, I think having an open-ended question, I think we, that's something more appropriate for the individual voir dire. Again, what I'm also trying to keep in mind here is that just because it's uh, struck from the questionnaire doesn't mean it's foreclosed from, being going, from going into on individual questioning. I think it's more just we're asking overall whether we think there's anything outright that shows bias or a fixed opinion. And I don't think we need to keep re-asking that question a dozen different ways on the questionnaire at least. Okay, um, question 41 on the working copy, which is 
nervous or anxious. That's question 46 on courts exhibit two. Assume you were a juror in this case, would you feel nervous or anxious about returning any verdict out of concern for how the public might respond? Um, my thought there was to combine that in some manner with the previous question. I, I, I'm fine with including it, the general subject into the questionnaire just to see if that's something, I don't know if that's necessarily gonna be disqualifying, but it may be something that the parties contend is relevant for their preemptories. But I'll hear any thoughts from either side. Uh, we're okay for it. And just to clarify for the record, when we uh, said we objected, we objected to it saying uh, returning a not guilty verdict, I believe was what the defense had. We, and we switched it to any, so we're okay with the any verdict. Okay. Government's okay with the question as is? Yes. Okay. So can we figure out a way to combine 40 and 41? Because I think they're essentially getting to the same thing. One is asking pressure for members of the community, and the other is asking about concern of how the public might respond. I and mean, it's essentially the same question, just phrased a little differently. So uh, if you want to figure out a way to combine it, or you want one or the other, otherwise, trying to stay streamlined here. Uh, I guess if everyone's okay with it, it might be easier to cut 40 since 41 sort of talks about it. If everyone else is okay with it, that might solve your problem instead of doing a compound question. Okay. Do we want to flip it then and say 41 comes in and 40 goes out? Yeah. Let's do that. Okay, moving on. I didn't see any... I think I, I remember the state may have objected to asking whether they'd watched any of a particular press conference or. I think it was just the form again. I okay. Said really Julian Hollings, and we just said the November 29th, November, excuse me, 19th. So do, are, are we satisfied now with how it's phrased? You are satisfied. Okay. What questions are you referring to? Um, I was talking more about in the working copy 45 through 49, where we start talking about specific incidents. Uh, alleged as overt acts in the indictment, like the November 19th press conference, uh, Georgia legislative hearings. I remember the state had lodged an objection to, to one of those, and I was just inquiring about that, but it sounds like that's been resolved through this latest copy. All right, getting back to, I think it was uh, the defense's major contention with the current working copy, and let me find where this is in the original submission. It's, it's starting with 51 on the working copy. I don't know if I can find it, but I'll just try to describe it as we go along. So the first question is, have you ever talked about the charges against Donald Trump, this case of the events with your family, friends, coworkers on social media? Uh, the next question was, have you ever heard others talking about the charges against Donald Trump, this case and events online? Uh, to me, that question had already been covered by I think we had a section on media habits where we ask a, a pretty open-ended question about what have you heard about this case? And or maybe that was before. Yeah, on, on question 42, have you read, seen, or heard about the alleged interference in the 2020 election results? And we basically leave it completely open-ended. So to me, those two questions were just re-asking what we'd already covered. Any thoughts from either side? This is on uh, working copy 51, 52. Your Honor, you are gonna be asking question 50. Yes, I didn't see an objection from either side about that. On behalf of Mr. Chesbro, the court thinks 42 is redundant, 52 is Right. That was, that was a, the, what I was also going to say is we're really just supposed to be focused on the jurors themselves and start asking what other people have told them. Now we're just opening up a whole new line of, of inquiry that I think is more of a distraction and not really all that relevant. Okay. So not having heard anything, 51, 52 will stay out. And then we get into kind of more, what looks more like a gallop. Oh, sorry. I think there may be some confusion. Did we always. 51 is in, right, Your Honor? No, no, no. I was saying both of those are covered by the discussion of what have you heard about this case? Well, I, 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 oh, I'm sorry. When you say you ever talked about the charges right, with family and members. 
Okay. No, I'm sorry. I see what you mean. All right. So 52 stays out, but you're talking about 51. Have you ever talked about the charges with your family, friends, or coworkers or discussed it online? Okay. Again, uh, let me, let me review what we have, but I think that was already covered by the case or media habits. Let me just make sure. No, Your Honor, question 50 and question 51 are awfully close. Right. Those two questions says, have you posted anything online in 50? And 51 is, have you ever talked about it? There you go. Is there a way if we, if we can combine those two questions, some of the language from 51 into yeah. 50? I think that makes sense. That's probably what I was trying to look for is the immediately preceding question. And we're good with combining the two questions. All right, so Mr. Aurora or Mr. Grubman, how would you propose combining those? My suggestion maybe would be, have you ever talked about charges against Donald Trump, posted anything online or reposted anything online about charges against Donald Trump, this case or these events in person or online? We're good with that. So uh, make sure I heard that right. Have you ever talked about or posted anything online? Yes. Okay. Any thoughts from the state? That's fine. Okay. Oh, good with it. Okay. So then uh, 50 will go in with those edits and 51 and 52 as proposed in the working copy stay out. Moving on, we get to on the working copy 53, 54. And this kind of takes the form of almost like a Gallup poll where we list. 20 something individuals, including all the defendants and what looks to be potential state's witnesses and asking their, your opinion of the following individuals, favorable, somewhat unfavorable, no opinion, somewhat favorable, very favorable. So I believe the state objected to this. And let me start with you, Mr. Bernick. Uh, yes, we don't think these are relevant in this case. They asked about other co-defendants. Uh, they're not on trial yet. Uh, so we don't believe this is actually relevant to the case at hand. Okay. Mr. Rafferty? I guess, you know, my, my response, Your Honor, is the government has indicated its intention to prove its entire case over the course of six months about all the defendants in this case. Uh, and as I've said for over a month now, that has nothing to do with Sidney Powell. Uh, and so if the government's intention is to offer up a lot of information about President Trump, Rudy Giuliani, John Eastman, that has nothing to do with my client, I, I think we, we would ask that the court ask the jurors about their opinions about these various individuals and whether or not they have particularly favorable or unfavorable views of them. Because I think it will lend itself to a dialogue with these jurors that might result in, in a fair and impartial jury for both sides. Uh, since we're under a time crunch, asking them if they already have these opinions would really help us move along, I think, the questioning when we come to individual questions. And that's the, that's the reason why we ask about 53, and then once again about 54, because even though the 54 are not defendants in the case, these are identified and very high profile and public witnesses that the government has expressed an intention to call at this trial. Uh, and we would ask for the same reason to know if folks have particularly strong opinions one way or the other about those folks. Uh, so uh, before Mr. Royal response here, that, that, that brings something to mind is, do we think it might be necessary in the background section to list all of the co-defendants so that the jurors are aware of who else has been charged and who else is probably going to be talked about so that when they're asked generally do you have any bias have you heard anything they also are aware of these other names that would be your honor in the background right before it says jury service on page right right in the opening where we're saying 19 others or 18 others we could say including and then list them and then i guess the other question is why would we be uh redacting the indictment at this point. I mean, we'll get to that. I mean, I, that's that's for way down the road when the jury would ever actually see the indictment. But still, I mean, we're redacting by right. for a reason. Worth flagging. Reason. Any thoughts there, Mr. Rafferty? On why we would redact? No, 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 just including the names of the other co-defendants in the background section, since you're saying that the I, jurors need to be on notice. I, I think, Your Honor, it probably does make sense in that introductory section for those other individuals, particularly some of the names that everybody seems to know, um, to have them listed. So I, I tend to agree with the court that we should have all 19 defendants listed in the background section. Okay. All right. And uh, now, Mr. Or Mr. Oh, Mr. Quick. And then yeah. Also, I think that 53 will be duplicative of uh, number 50 anyway. You know, what you're especially if we add. Yeah, we'll, we'll get back to that. Let me, I'm, I'm trying. 
to go through each issue at a time. Mr. Roar, any thoughts on adding co-defendants to the background section? Um, that's fine. I think Mr. Rafferty's points made, um, it just keeps it cleaner. And my biggest concern in asking some of these questions is just to keep the individual Vardar going so I can sort of see off the sheet who said what, so I don't generically ask that and waste two minutes for them, you know, contemplating what they're thinking on the spot. I've already got it. So it's not that we're trying to get into it, but you and I both know we're going to ask about it. So this just speeds it along for us to see who hit what, so we can directly go to those questions on the individual versus just, you understand, being very general and vague about it and digging that way. Uh, because even if there's only eight or nine people, we, that leaves us like maybe six, seven minutes. I don't want to waste two minutes getting there because you understand these are household names. People are going to know. So, no, there's no doubt that all the names listed that we're asking for opinions on are well known and, and likely the folks do have opinions on them. The, the bridge I'm, I, I'm not crossing here or, or not yet seeing is how an opinion on a witness is going to necessarily fall, uh, play into a fixed and definite opinion on the case at issue. Uh, you know, whether we can find a juror that's fair and impartial uh, is the ultimate question. And so how they feel about a particular witness, I mean, unless we're, you're saying that we should ask this about every single, which essentially they're going to get the witness list at the very end of this, where they're saying, do you know any of these people? Uh, we could tailor that to say, do any of these you know, people provoke any reaction in you or, or affect your ability to be fair and impartial? But to kind of run an opinion poll and highlight certain ones of them, that's giving me some pause. Well, on 53, I just meant the defendants first. I think that's something we have to get into. On 54, if it's giving your honor pause, we can just wrap it up into the, is a state's witness more credible than the others that we ask all the time in the regular cases and sort of just generically cover it in a more vague manner than listing possibly every witness that's high profile. My bigger concern is 53 with the defendants themselves because if they're proving the full conspiracy, the names are going to come up, whether it's redacted or not. And so I just want to be well, well, what about instead of uh, like, again, a, a Gallup poll listing every single one of them, it's more of a catch all question of you've heard the names of the other co defendants. Does that affect your opinion and your ability to consider Mr. Chesbron and Ms. Powell? I think something along those lines that we're getting better. Right. And, you know, depending on if they say yes or no, then we start probing in. I just thought that this would make it easier to follow versus me asking those questions which i will be asking individually so it just sort of maybe cuts to the meat of the matter because everybody's going to say they have an opinion right unless you just don't watch the news and then we ask all 19 of these questions individually versus uh, you know maybe they say no opinion and we can just skip through some of them instead of repeating ourselves 14 times okay let me go i know mr rafferty and then i'll go back to the state any thoughts sir well you know your honor if the idea is that you would for question 53 you've heard all the defendants in this case, if, if we could still just have them listed just so we know that the folks are actually looking at the names so that they're not just flipping through the thing and trying to get through it so that you don't want to have the very unfavorable to very favorable sort of range, at least what are your opinions of the following defendants just have their names and put a put a line at the end what their response is. That's what I would ask for at least so we know what folks are thinking, um, which I think is what you were suggesting just not repeating all their names and as it relates to the other question 54. You know, my thinking is I've tried to identify some of the extremely high profile folks that are on the government's witness list, beginning with the governor, uh, Alex Jones, Steve Bannon, Michael Flynn. These are very high profile names that have been in the media. And, you know, I, I don't know what folks opinions are, if they have any. But my thinking is not every witness needs to be on there, but some of the folks that have been in the media most frequently that people are going to know, I'd, I'd be interested in if they have any opinions about any of them. That, that, that's just my, my, my view. Okay. And uh, thoughts from the state? Okay. Um, again, we think this is going to be duplicative of the question, you know, have you heard or read or seen anything in the media about the following uh, defendants or the case? Um, and, you know, their opinion about other co-defendants that are not on trial, I don't think that's going to get us into an inquiry or get us very far into whether their opinion is fixed and, and um, permanent and determined that they cannot be fair and impartial against these defendants themselves. And then going to 54 about the witnesses, 
you're prejudging credibility here again. I just, it's not appropriate. You know, it's kind of like a question, you know, they're kind of seeing, it also includes, um, you know, persons on both sides of the spectrum and who do you believe more? You kind of asking for people whose credibility do you think is uh, more credible? Um, and that's kind of like a question in Henderson v. State 251, Georgia 398, um, that prohibited questions regarding the credibility of law enforcement officers over ordinary citizens. All right. Well, when it comes to highlighting specific witnesses, I think that if defense counsel wants to use their time during individual voir dire just to generally go through that i think that's that's their decision but to highlight specific witnesses and just ask for opinions uh in the in the questionnaire itself um i, I don't think that is particularly relevant to the ultimate question of the impartiality of the juror and so i would not add 54 53 I'll, I'll, I'll take a look at that to see if it won't come in the form of the boxes, but if the, we need to add a question referring generally to the other co-defendants because defense counsel want to explore that. Again, I think it's, it's probably going to be irrelevant to the fixed and definite opinion for the particular defendants on trial, uh, but if that's something that they want to explore for their preemptories, I, I suppose, I don't think that's unreasonable. It's just, it's more the form, the form of it that gives me pause. So I'll take a look at that one and see how we can adjust it. Moving on in the questionnaire, uh, the next point of contention I see brings us to the working copy 87, which is, do you have any opinion either negative or positive about the district attorney? The state had added in the qualifier that may affect your ability to be fair and impartial. As I, as I said, Your Honor, our thinking was similar to our thinking with respect to 32. Um, just to ask them what their opinion is, is more likely to produce, we think, honest information from the folks in a positive or negative light that they might have, as opposed to asking them whether they could be fair and impartial. Because as we've said, I think all the studies show everybody wants to believe. We all want to believe we can be fair and impartial. But if they just offer their opinions, I think we're all in a better position to know if based on what they say, they can in fact be fair and impartial. So that's our only thinking. And I think that's the reason why we made the same change that we made to 32 that we make here. Okay, anything else, Mr. Aurora? Okay, from the state. Uh, their opinion about the general opinion about the district attorney has nothing to do with this case here, we believe. So I strike it or keep it as, uh, does it relate to you being fair and impartial here? I think that's the appropriate question that should be asked. Right. I think we've been going, it's, it's, it's very much a, a fine line between jumping back and forth between opinions generally and, and opinions that, that reach the qualification of the juror. Uh, again, I'm trying to recognize that this is a, a case that where these opinions may, may play into consideration here. So I will... I'll consider 87. Um, I'm inclined to, to keep in the fair and impartial language, but I'll think it over. And then there was a following uh, segment where the defense wanted to add in, we had general statements talking about various issues that are likely to come up during the trial and asking whether they just generally their feelings on these statements and the defense wanted to add in a couple more. I was already a bit kind of wary about the five that had made it in. Uh, but my initial reaction to these additions, uh, which is uh, defense going in order. I think that Trump and his associates tried to steal the election and throw out my vote. To me that calls for a legal question. The next following, I think the First Amendment should not protect people who spread political and mis misinformation about elections. Again, I think that calls for a legal opinion. I think every single person who is accused of helping Donald Trump try to overturn the election should be punished to the fullest extent of the law. 
to me that calls for prejudgment. And there's a final one. I, well, excuse me, there's another one. Again, I don't remember who, I guess it's the defense adding this in. I think MAGA Republicans are mostly made up of radicals and white supremacists. I'll hear argument on that. And then finally, I think anyone who publicly claimed that the 2020 election was stolen from Donald Trump is guilty of spreading misinformation that undermines our democracy. And again, that to me very much seems like prejudgment and legal opinion here. So setting that all up, uh, thoughts, reactions from both sides. Mr. Burnick. Okay, I'll go first. Um, we think the questions that they added back in are, as you noted, uh, prejudgment. They're basically testing the defense theories here, getting a shot at seeing what the jurors are going to be receptive to before actually putting on their case and, uh, and their argument. Were any of those first five that were in this draft, uh, were any of those the ones proposed by the state? Uh, no, we actually objected to this. Okay. Um, whole section, Your Honor. Um, yeah, I think you're thinking about the giving money to PACs and stuff like that. Okay. So just generally, you think that this entire section was calling for prejudgment. Okay. Okay. Who? Uh, anyone from the defense want to go first, Mr. Rafferty? Your Honor, what I would say with respect to F, suppose F, G, H, I, and J, similar to what we said uh, originally about attitudes. Um, I think if folks express responses to these about their attitudes, they might have already said that they can they can be fair and impartial. But if we get that sort of information from them, we can better test whether, in fact, they can be fair and impartial. People are strongly agreeing that Trump and his associates tried to steal the election and throw out my vote. Uh, that's a person that I would have real concerns about. And the same would be true of uh, G, H, I, and J. Uh, these are attitudinal type questions that we feel would bring out responses that would be able that we, we would be able to use to test whether or not they can in fact be fair and impartial. All right, I don't know if you're a stickler to the stick to one. If so, Mr. Aurora. No, I don't care at all uh, in this format. These are issues in a normal case. I could see why this wouldn't be, you know, this would be questionable. These are the issues in the case. So for example, I think Trump and associates tried to steal the election and throw out my vote. Literally, that is why we're here. I see Mr. Um, Mr. Wade shaking his head. Well, well, there's no question that's why we're we're here, but we always have had a hard line in the sand about we're not going to come in here and ask you, do you think he's guilty or not? We don't we don't tell jurors to tell us how you're going to vote. Isn't that exactly what we're doing here? No, we're we're asking them as to Mr. Rafferty. I mean, with all due respect, I think the state's just completely ignoring the science. And I think the court is risking ignoring the science, too, which is if you ask them simply, can you be fair and impartial on this? I know we're we're going back and forth, but I think it's related. They're always going to say yes. When you start asking them opinion questions that really through a lot of thought of people who know about sociology and things of that nature started asking, as Mr. Rafi said, these attitudinal questions, then we're really going to be able to actually decide whether these folks are going to be able to be fair and impartial. To ask them simply, are you going to be fair and impartial? It is completely against all of the social science that is out there that says the only people who are going to say no to that question are the people who want off this jury. Everyone else, if they're they're going to convince themselves, of course I could be fair and impartial. So when we start asking, do you think that Trump and his associates tried to steal the election, and we start getting their opinion on that, now we, as the court, of course, most importantly, but also counsel could chime in. Now we're really starting to see whether they truly can be fair and impartial. Because if they say yes to that, then your honor, I'll just preview for you. We're going to ask to strike them for cause because clearly then. If they already say yes to that, they prejudge this case. And because that's what the state is attempting to prove, that's the allegations in their indictment, they've already come to a conclusion. They can't be on this jury. So these are simply the opinion questions that we think are getting to the true question the court is concerned with, which is, can you be fair and impartial? We just feel like if you simply just ask them that and delete all this other stuff, you're not going to get the right answer. And with all due respect, Your Honor, I'm not trying to reopen it, but if we have to spend, if we only have, I know you said it wasn't four minutes and 15 seconds, but probably less than 10 minutes each juror, to Mr. Aurora's point, 
we really, I'm not, we're not just saying this, these we thought were questions that would help us go through that quicker since your honor made such an emphasis understandably on we need to move through the jury selection once they get here. This way we could focus on what's important when we get up there and that's it. Yeah. Well, I know, I mean, I'm, I, I, I certainly recognize the, and I'm sympathetic to the idea that part of the role a jury questionnaire does is, is focus uh, what we want to do during the individual questioning and allow us to, to hone in on what matters. But at the same time, I, and then counsel's obviously permitted follow-up during individual questioning, but, but that doesn't throw out the general standards about what you're allowed to ask jurors, period. I mean, even if you put it on the questionnaire, if you were to just, if it wasn't on the questionnaire and you were to ask this question, you'd get an objection. And I don't see how I couldn't, how I, I could not sustain that. Right. I, I mean, I understand. I, I get completely what you're talking about when you say this is how we figure out what these jurors actually think. But ultimately what I'm applying is, is decades of case law on this point that says we're not supposed to be asking jurors to give their opinion up front. You know, you're going to be able to poke and prod all throughout individual questioning. And I think you're probably going to be able to find out pretty easily who is uh, maybe a good juror for your theory of the case. But if I could just say one thing, I just think, Your Honor, I would ask the court to just consider, even though the law is the law, and obviously if there is a case on point, then clearly Your Honor is going to apply it. And there's nothing we can say to convince you otherwise, because you should I believe it would be a big mistake for any of us to treat this case like a normal case because it's unprecedented in the history of Georgia jurisprudence. And in fact, I've heard people on both sides, you know, MSNBC on one side, Fox News on the other side, they all agree on one thing. It's unprecedented in the history of American jurisprudence. And so I think the realities are going to have to start kind of really um, sinking in here to make us realize this is not an ordinary case. The reason it's not an ordinary case is not because of anything that we did. It's because of how they charged it. They could have charged it a lot different. And we have to view this case differently. And of course, that doesn't mean going against any court of appeals or Georgia Supreme Court president. But to the extent there's not pretty much, Your Honor, I think all of the case law says, I believe, at, in essence, when it comes to these matters, the trial court has a lot of discretion. And I just think this case needs to be treated the way it should be, which is a case that has no parallels in the history of Georgia or American jurisprudence. Okay, last word from the state on that. I think you just heard it straight from Mr. Grubman. He, when he started, he says he wants you to disregard the law and the case law on what's going on just because it's a high profile case. We still have to, uh, follow the law here and we still have to follow and what they're doing is basically asking them to prejudge the case and give them their ideas about their theories of defenses that they're going to prove so we ask you not to ask these questions on the jury questionnaire all right i'll take it under advisement uh next section in public officials where it asked if you'd had the following experiences i think the defense had added in state convention event or national convention event just as a line edit that's right uh, works 97 on the working copy any thoughts from the state on that line edit no we're good okay all right and also you know what i'll just do this for the record as well i'm going to enter in the defenses track changes working copy as courts three and then the final questionnaire will be courts four. I think that takes us through the end. Jeff, what did we agree? What did the court, uh, where did the court land on number 88? Where did we? Oh, 88 was the officer credibility. I, th I think that if if we're not including the one against the particular defendants, the case law supports that being excluded as well. So I would strike 88. Anything else from the state just for the, on the questionnaire in general, is there anything we need to tailor on the, that's to proceed the witness list? 
right now it says circle the name of any individual that you have any association and or direct or indirect connection with. While we're talking about witnesses, we did have some follow-up that we'd like to take up with the court outside of the- Okay. That's okay. We will do that. Anything else from the state? Or excuse me, defense? There you are, thank you. Okay, Mr. Aurora. Okay. The record, I wanted to maintain the objections. I know we've sort of- Sure, of course. Back and forth, but- no, no. Any uh, any objections to what does not make the final cut are lodged for the record and noted. Okay. Can I address something different? Or sure. I think I, I'm just last call for anything on the questionnaire. Then uh, I'll try to get you that final uh, copy by. I'm going to try to do that today, and I'll send that by email. Okay. Uh, we can open it back up to anything else. The grand juror issue, Your Honor, you're making your emails and their responses exhibit record. That's right. And so, so all the declinations I was going to file under seal. Okay. I, that's fine. And then, what courtroom did you decide that we're actually going to? Still working on that. Um, we are trying to get one of the larger ones on the first floor. Uh, we're still going to be doing individual voir dire in here. But so, for those two weeks uh, that we're doing individual voir dire, give or take, uh, we will be in here and then we're going to line up a larger courtroom. For the, for the trial itself? No, no, just for the during jury selection when the defendants are here. Uh, that's a great point. So how, during jury selection, is it going to be the same three and five? I mean, there'll obviously be two more. I mean, we, 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 can fit, we can fit four chairs at that longer table that y'all are at. Um, and we can put a couple of the associates in the first right. I think we might uh, defendants, so we'd have some yeah I think we might need to do that we can maybe reserve I think your court has already uh, offered a reserve the first row right okay okay so with that there would still be enough room for the uh, clients and lead counsel and be passing notes and questions and whatever else you need to do as long as you're okay with the first row coming yeah. up here to hand me stuff without yeah we'll just we'll remember to block that out of course, I can imagine there'd be a throng of folks clamoring to see individual voir dire for two weeks, but well, we'll see. I mean, they're here to see. Even I know. It's riveting stuff. Boston Post, New York Times. Everything. Okay. Uh, what else? Yes, sir. Just what we... When we're done for now, though, on the record, anything else? Okay. All right. We'll be off the record. We'll see you Friday. Lawfare No Bull is produced in cooperation with the Brookings Institution and Goat Rodeo. You can support Lawfare's suite of podcasts by joining our Patreon at www.patreon.com slash lawfare. That's www.patreon.com slash lawfare. You should rate and review Lawfare No Bull wherever you found us and you should share us on all the social medias. And as always, thanks for listening.